Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda Decadene. In this episode, I speak with model, host, and activist Paloma Alcesa about the pressure of being a body advocate in the fashion industry, how recovery gave her a new purpose in life, and what it was like growing up in a matriarchal home. So, I just have to say up front that it's a really interesting situation to find myself in to interview you and to share your life journey with other people when I know so much of it personally and I also do feel very protective of you. Um, So Mm. we're going to see how this goes. But I love you dearly. And um, I think let's start at the beginning, right? Let's talk about when you were a kid and growing up in what I would say a very matriarchal family. I mean, you saw firsthand. I grew up in a multi-generational household pretty much my entire life. Most of my adolescent years were spent in the house that my mom grew up in with my grandparents downstairs and us upstairs. So it was constantly an influx of people and calls and noise. But um, I do feel that I was always surrounded by a strong female lead, I will say. Um, my mom is quite intentional and powerful in her ways and extremely determined. And I kind of realized that that also just came from my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather actually was like a conscientious objector in the war, um, and a pacifist. I grew up in a really spiritual household. They themselves were like Quakers and Methodist Christians, but my mom was a practicing Buddhists for many years. And my dad is what is entrenched in a bunch of different forms of spirituality. So I think, you know, I have hippie parents. <laughs> you do, you do. They're, they're, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I was thinking I met your dad when I was 14 years old in the UK. Yeah. And it's actually, I know you and I know your mom and your whole family through your dad. And yeah. I remember that home so well that you grew up in and you know your mom is a powerhouse she is you know mama anidra is is a really incredible determined focused woman she's older than i am and, and even i growing up was in awe of her of her presence and her focus and her determination mm. kanya sage mm. ama you mm. and watching her largely single parent, always impressed me. And she was a phenomenal example to me. You know, I did get the example of a mom who who never dropped us, you know? She never, her, her passion is and was supporting us and others around her. There was no distraction between that it was like oh like this school doesn't work we'll find another one we'll find the money we'll make sure that you go there you know I felt I feel very lucky that my mom never settled for us my mom made sure that we had access to the best and the best doesn't render also what some people might think is the best it meant that like we took capoeira classes and we went to festivals and we went to this and we were were allowed to watch a movie past 11 and and I was allowed to go on vacations with you guys during Christmas and I was allowed you know that the the expansiveness of experience 
my mom never limited us to. And I think it's really informed how I can move in the world, like my comfortability to be in different spaces and different experiences because my mom was like, go, like have that experience, be that mess up here, do this. It was, it was a sense of presence that I am grateful for. You know, I think as I get older, I start to see like, you know, and on top of it, I had other, you know, um, chosen family around me like you and other, you know, important figures that also were like nursing, I don't know, my experiences. And then I had grandparents who were really attentive and present in the ways that they could be. You know, it's like if I wasn't going home with you guys at the end of the school day, my dad, my grandpa was picking me up. You know, it was like no matter how far the school was, no matter how early we had to get up, how long we sat in traffic, um, I had a herd around me that, you know, I don't know, allowed for a lot of things and experiences to happen. But also there was hardships. <laughs> I'm wondering how it felt for you growing up in L.A. and growing up around a lot of privileged kids. I mean, yeah, I think it's made a profound positive and negative impact on kind of the positive is I also was able to experience, you know, the expansiveness of privilege. You know, I experienced travel and food and just a, a litany of experiences, but I myself was never explicitly linked to it. So it always felt that I was always like a few steps behind. And that kind of like mucus of distance informed something with that within me that, it, that I wasn't of the same value um, from a young age. You know, I think that it was pretty early on that I found solace in being the friend that was the funny friend the the weirder friends the the you know I had to really exalt on these other things outside of myself whether it be style or music or whatever it was because I myself purely didn't feel good enough because the people like the environments that I was in a lot of the people that were good enough didn't look like me and didn't have experiences like me and the irony is that that so many of us yeah don't feel good enough in environments, even if yeah. we should theoretically fit in, right? It's funny now, like I'm almost 30 years old, it's become such a powerful tool. I found that like understanding my difference at a young age forced me to excavate the parts of myself that maybe I did like or I could lead into outside of how I looked or um, financial lineage. What are some of those things? I mean, I just... I think that I was always very experimental with like clothes and stuff. You definitely were. (laughs) Oh my God. I was looking through some photos of you in Atlanta with just the craziest outfits on and the performances that you would do. You were also so creative. I mean, you were actually a little performer. I'm not surprised (laughs) that you're in front of the camera, even though I know that there's a lot for you to overcome Uh. to do that in many instances. But I think that's part of your playfulness. Yeah, I have such fond memories and like, and gratitude for kind of you 
bunch like you know you and my mom allowed for Atlanta I think about now that even though I'm like oh I grew up so fast like we also there was a playfulness that was also invited much longer than most teenage girls or girls get to have you know I can say that there was times when it's like yeah like we grew up in LA and I went to parties too early but it's like not that much earlier where Atlanta and I were playing like make believe like harvest queens or whatever we remember when we, at the beachwood house we <laughs> you yeah yeah and you would make fairy gardens and i think yeah. i think your your childhood your early teen years lasted longer because there wasn't social media we didn't really have tv yeah. in the house and it was more about yeah. using your imagination and play and it's very different. Yeah. Even the difference between when you were growing, when you were a teen and when Amma was growing up, it was a difference, right? Yeah. I mean, I think growing up in LA, it's strangely suburban. Right? Yeah. It, but I feel that there's a lot of access and a lot of privilege, you know, the kind of like experiences that I had where, you know, I was, you know, tapping into parts of myself that were just desperate for escape. I think that that playfulness quickly morphed into something that's still in the same way is that fantasy. Like, I think that that's my first addiction. It's like fantasy, experiencing things outside of myself. And I think that there was a clashing of like that childhood momentum into teenage years where I really found solace and like things that weren't bringing me, I don't know, I mean, ultimately brought me to where it needed to bring me you know sure. but I think that in LA there's definitely an overwhelm of kind of like access and privilege and a lot of parents too who are these parents who are like oh well I'm artful or I'm creative and I don't want to be too restrictive on my kids but then there's a whole cluster of us getting into trouble you know and I think that as you're going through times where you're investigating your body, your mind, your spirit. And for me, I was still really, really struggling with, even though I was figuring out what I liked about myself, but I didn't know what was valuable. I say this so often, even in almost my 30s. There's such a difference between like self-esteem and, and self-value. I can understand my value very clearly. But do you believe how it? it intersects? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The self-esteem is, do you believe yeah. it? Yeah. And it's, and it's still something I'm figuring it out. You know, it's like, I'm cool. I'm pretty. I'm smart. I'm this. And then it's like my others, my self-esteem is like, no, you're not because of it, you know? So it's like, how do we believe it? Well, it's integrating that, it. It's integrating it. I find that's yeah. an ongoing journey, you know, yeah. there's, there's periods of time where they, those two connect and line up and then you know life experiences happen and before you know it there's a disconnect again and then you have to do more integrating work more integration because you realize that actually you don't feel as you thought about yourself maybe you don't think as kindly as of yourself as you thought but let's yeah. talk about when you moved to New York and Mm -hmm. moving into a different culture and a different environment, which you really needed to have your own identity. Yeah. And what were those first few years like when you were there? Well, I think they were, I mean, they were really important. I think I was really ready to have a new city to cause chaos in. Interact <laughs> with. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I was like, well, because I think that in LA, I had felt like my adulthood was very expedited in a very short amount of time. I think I was exposed to things that I was ready to experience, but wasn't prepared for the consequence of. And I think that that kind of followed me to New York and I tried, tried to kind of pull a geographic. And even though as well to my mom's um, kind of, not, not to her dismay, but actually to her joy, I still got into school, even though I struggled immensely with school and academics. I've never been somebody who's like intensely academic, but I am a intentional learner and I've always been curious has been like my MO since I was God knows how old. Like, well, I'm so capable, but she won't finish her work or she won't do oh, it. Yeah. Easily distracted. Yes. Yeah. The old <laughs> distraction, looking out the window. Yeah, Could do yeah. better if she stopped looking out the yeah. window. Yes, yes, yes. It was like, wait, I know that I'm smart, but then my grades are bad. Or I know this, but then this is happening. So there was a bit of discord again between like how I understood myself and, and how I truly felt about myself. And I think I brought that to New York, even though I had got into a school that I was really excited to be at and start kind of this new clean slate. But again, they don't call it pulling a geographic for nothing. But I was really refreshed by the fact that in L.A. and kind of this like bubble. I don't know. It's an L.A. bubble. bubble. It exactly. just is. L.A. is yeah, just a like bubble LA, by nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The bubble that I was in, like an L.A. private school bubble and kind of existing in my life outside of it, a lot of the um, value is erected in L.A. by how you look at your parents are, status. status. All the outside yeah. stuff. All the outside stuff. So I was so pleasantly and like desperately surprised that when I got to New York that the value system is still erected from that in some way but not as greatly. I felt that it was kind of this like stew of different types of people. I think they got really caught up in the storm of that and partying and it brought me to like my knees pretty quickly in New York. Um, I think I was so excited about this like new sleet and this like new person that I could be in some way while discovering all these other parts of myself. I was overwhelmed. I'm a really easily overwhelmed person. So I just kind of like the party and got the best of me and I had to go back to LA and like get sober and look at kind of what not only what had been happening the last two years but what had been happening since the day I picked up drugs and alcohol and even before even that before, you know being I, an acutely sensitive person is one of the beautiful things about you and about any yeah. of us who are acutely sensitive because that gives yeah. us you know our compassion and our empathy and gratitude and we feel things strongly. So, you know, I, I think it is tough being someone who feels a lot and navigating the world that you were certainly, you know, a part of when you first came to New York and the world that you're still a part of now. So what was going back home after having had a taste of New York and then realizing, oh, I have more work to do. If I don't take care of myself and get firmly into recovery, I'm probably not going to have the life that I want to have or even discover what that is. I remember being actually in treatment and what the dawning of that, like I actually might have to stay sober for a second was being like, wow, it is such a 
diseased wish of thinking and being in this constant loop of wanting, being at A and wanting everything at Z, but having no idea how to even get to B. Like thinking, like, or you spend all night being like, oh, da, 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 and then it goes out the window because you get high or you get drunk or you pick up a person or a thing or whatever it is. And then you're like back at A. You haven't even gotten to B. And I was so tired of being on that cycle. I was so tired of being dependent on other people and on things outside of myself. I was just tired. So I just had a sense of willingness. I was like, what would it look like if I just extracted this from the picture for a second? What might my life look like? And I didn't realize that now that was such a bigger deal or that was, you know, like a a higher power coming in and being like, just sit down. (laughs) You know, I get 10 years Oh my God. That's incredible. (laughs) That is incredible. That's really, it's crazy. That that of all you have achieved in your life, that is at the top because without your recovery, none of it would have, none of your life to date would have been possible. No way. No way. When I talk to people, and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't been sober for so long. And how have you been in recovery for so long? And I'm also, also, I have to be really honest that it's like, it's been completely imperfect and nonlinear. Like at the same time as figuring out that I had, you know, a diseased way of thinking, like I also had to be 19. Like I also had to be 22. I also had to be, you know, yeah. so it's like, it's to figure out that like, oh, I am an alcoholic and an addict in recovery. And I'm manipulative in this way and I'm doing this and I'm lying or I'm doing this at the same time as figuring that out just as a 22-year-old woman or just now or whatever as a 29-year-old woman. Like, it is completely imperfect and messy and really ugly. As it is for everyone. As everyone, exactly. But what I love about recovery and having been in recovery myself since I'm 22 Mm -hmm. So, you know, over half my life at this point, also being sober, Mm -hmm. I love that you're right. No matter what stage of life you're at, just as a human being on the planet, we also have these amazing tools that are and community and guidelines that are available to us that can help us navigate these different stages of life. Uh, And I'm so grateful for the the recovery community that I can go to about anything. You know, yeah. to your point about the outside world looks at things based on the outsides and recovery teaches us to look at things from the inside. And when we yeah. look at things from the inside, we realize that we are more similar than different. And that is a good feeling because then I don't feel separate from and different in the same way that I do if I'm not looking at it through a recovery lens. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that that uniqueness, that aloneness that will follow, that has been there long before I picked up a drink or a drug. You know, it's figuring out how to marry your your real experience, your real difference, but it not allowed to direct everything else. You know, it's like it's okay to hold space for us having different experiences, but I no longer, or I try to no longer be in that that it can, it it's the driver of the show. You know, because without a framework and without you don't even know I had great examples of love and compassion and care that I feel like recovery in a lot of ways like parented me it showed me it gave me those structure and those boundaries that I was really 
starving for. You know, it showed me how to be accountable. It showed me how to show up. It showed me how to say no. Um, it showed me how to say yes when I was afraid to say yes. It so greatly informed like any of the work that I do now and knowing that like, I don't know what or who it is that's taking care of me thus far, like I will be taking care of. And that was ultimately cultivated in like a home and an environment that like also kind of breathed out into me. But I think that recovery itself has provided like a rule book for life. Yeah, you the know? guidebook for life. And the guide, yeah. And I just feel like so, I don't know, I think now looking at, I don't know, my 10 years almost, God willing, and also what's happened over the last 10 years, you know, it's like the arc of my 20s, um, career, loss, grief, heartbreak, home ownership, like so many things that, I just, as you said, like, if I don't kind of plant my recovery at the front of all of that, like all of it will go, you know? Yeah, I do believe that as well. So let's talk a bit about your, the, the career trajectory and life trajectory since you got sober. Objectively, I would say that your sobriety was the catalyst for immense change and growth. Yeah, yeah. After having been in L.A. and gotten some sober time, when did you feel ready to go back to New York and how was that reentry for you? I stayed in L.A. for about almost two years. And I think I used the token of getting back to New York as something that kind of like coalesced with my healthy fear of getting loaded. I was got really scared to get loaded after a while. Like I was just like, one, I also knew that if I wanted to get back to New York, a place that I had very short experience, but long enough to know, I had felt some sense of belonging that I hadn't ever really felt in a place that I had lived. So I knew that I wanted to get back there. And again, just use it as like a token where it's just like, okay, I say sober for six months, I'll get back to New York. Like, I know that if I get loaded, I'll never get back to New York. So ultimately, when I got back, I think I was just happy to be there. And I was kind of hustling in the ways that I knew how. I went back to school. I was working at a small magazine. Was not no plan to be like a model or anything, but I was always writing and always doing little things. And then I had, again, like I said, this little job at a magazine. And there was when people were, who I was working with, were kind of like, oh, like, you're so, like, funny or you're so performative. You'd be great at, like, hosting a show, whatever. And I was a bit like, not really, but was that it was kind of from then that there was points made where I was like, okay, I really value connecting with people. This is something that doesn't come, it's not hard for me you know, and how do I kind of nurture that? And I still wanted to write and I still wanted to do psychology. And then on the side was hosting little shows for like this magazine that I worked for. And then I always found, I mean, it's funny um, when it comes to like photos, I was always the subject of people's like, um, like photo class or something. <laughs> like, like like three times these girls like, oh, can I take photos of you for my senior project? Can I take photos of you for my thesis? So. Even though, I guess it was just a token that even though I never felt totally uncomfortable in front of the camera in that way, 
I was always comfortable connecting with people and I always was comfortable finding a different way, even beyond words, how to express maybe what people were trying to say or do or feel or be my most like authentic self. Um, that was a whirlwind. I think I was working at some t-shirt stores. I think I was just like a girl downtown. I was just a girl living in New York, like newly sober. Kind of work out like, who you were. Trying to yeah, find out, like discover really who you just were. Trying, just tr- I was living in live converted living rooms and hustling and kissing boys and crying and trying to stay sober and just trying to do all of this kind of at once. And I remember um, I had met, I don't know if you know Stevie Dance. Mm, I do. Yes, of course. Yeah. She's awesome. This is like a few years. Li- yeah, she's amazing. She's actually like one of them. She started off mean. as a stylist. I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Yeah, the oranges yeah, yeah. and then with um, pop, yeah. right? Yeah, she's in a style at the time. Yeah. So I met her when I was like 23, 23, I think it was, um, like on the curbs by, by Valskina. And she's as a, you do in New York, house. where you just bump into yeah, people. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> but I was sitting there just looking, wearing a hoodie, rough and tumble girl, whatever. And I had done a couple like shoots for friends here and there. It was really not like, you know, trying to model. No, it was not something do... that you had any aspirations to do or you were focused on. No, you definitely fell into all. this. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't my dream. I think I won't say that it wasn't my dream to connect with people. I mean, I think when I was younger, I think one of my dream jobs would have been to be like an MTV VJ or something like that. Doing <laughs> something like that. But Stevie was the one who was like, you know, we heard about Ashley Graham. There's all these plus size models. There's a, and I think you and I have briefly talked about it. But like the first plus size model that I ever saw was Sophie. And I remember her being in the Laurel Canyon. Up, and then, oh Sophie Dahl. We're talking was, about Sophie Dahl, yeah, who Sophie Dahl, was yeah. one of the first, what was considered plus size Pioneers, models. I would say. And yeah. she was often at my house uh, in Los Angeles when you were there too. How old yeah. were you when, when that would have been? I must have been like four or five. I remember when I was like five in Laurel Canyon and looking up and being like, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my whole life. She was like almost six feet tall, like statuesque. Like it looked like she was like out of a Botticelli painting. I was like so awestruck. I had never, I'd seen like fuller bodied women who I like loved and I admired and thought they were beautiful. But it was just like, there was something so glamorous and like, effortless about her at the same time that I was just like awestruck by her beauty and I'd still felt disconnected from that as myself I always found that I was like a bit too messy a little bit too short a little bit too this a little bit too scrappy 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 I love you scrappy (laughs) (laughs) so scrappy so I just couldn't really wrap my head around it but and also like when Stevie brought it out to me so many years later, like, you know, that the industry is changing and that you should come into my office and take some pictures. I think I was so like, me? Why me? Like, what are you talking about? Because of course I know that, knew that plus size modeling existed or the curve industry, but like, I was too separate from that. I was like too weird, too scrappy, too short. My proportions weren't right. Like, it was just like, no, 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 no. But it 
uh, it's a constant affirmation that like you just have to like find people because like Stevie really believed in me in that moment. She was like, okay, like you may feel that way, but I know. Like just watch, you know. And it's given me such a an earnest nugget that like find people that believe in you the way that your friends believe yes. in you because in that moment like Stevie believed in me and, and it just takes one person no at first. it just takes one person to yeah. really believe in you and see something in you that you're not able to see yourself yet and if you can trust them enough yeah. to take the risk the risk of failing and the risk of succeeding yeah. which are both equally terrifying at times so scary so scary so you were like all yeah. right let's but let's think- try it yeah, because I was like kind of su- such a low expectation. And of course, everyone said no, even at the time of the industry, by specific kind of corner of the industry, it's now kind of exploded. Um, every, I, I was not a catalog girl. Like they were just like, how do we, you know, where not do we to say put that you? I walked in with, yeah, where do we put you? They didn't know, you know, and at that time, like, how curved models were making the money. It was like catalog. I wasn't tall enough. I was a little too weird. Again, I was scrappy. I came in like hoodie and Reeboks and they're like, what are you doing? I didn't know I was supposed to come in with my hair like coiffed and gorgeous. And I didn't know. But I think that that's what's informed so greatly like what my work ended up being or what it is now is that I didn't, although I didn't know, I didn't change it. And you brought your authentic self and that is ultimately what, I think has resonated. One of the things that has resonated so much is you showing up as you and you creating and defining your own space, which is really, really hard to do. And you actually cannot construct that. You have to just be yourself in the most genuine way you can. And it either opens the path or, or it doesn't. But there's no other way to be other than you. Yeah, that's... I felt as going back to that highly sensitive person that we are, I think when the time came that I got that momentous call from Pat's team, who ultimately like set off the whole thing, that I was like, if I'm going to do this, like, I can't lie. I'm not going to survive it. Like, it can't be anyone else because I won't be able to survive it. Like. I I remember feeling like, wow, I'm going to potentially sacrifice being in school, doing all this stuff, like traveling and da da and rejection and all this stuff. And it's like, if I don't show up the best of as myself, and I if and I don't if I don't let these parts of myself kind of like shine through or be at the forefront or inform the work that I do, like I'm not tough enough for this. I'll say over and over and over again, I am strong, but I am very thin skinned. I'm very sensitive. I am not a thick-skinned person. I'm strong, but I'm thin-skinned. Yeah, I feel the same. I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, you're totally, yeah. actually, what you're saying is that, you know, an understanding recovery that you you mm-hmm. couldn't abandon yourself because to abandon yourself would mean that you would lose ultimately your recovery because you were starting to live in a disingenuous way yeah. and starting to shut down yes. pieces of yourself. So... I really commend you for knowing intuitively that you had to bring your full self to work with you if this was going to work. Because without being able to do that, you knew that the sacrifice was too high. And that takes phenomenal EQ to be able to know that because it must have been 
alluring. It must have been exciting. It must have been scary. And it also must have held the promise of you being able to have things for yourself that you had only had vicariously through other people growing up. So there must have been a lot of promise and being put forward for you to be able to be um, insightful enough to know this is the way I must do this. And if I don't, the cost is me. Yeah. It was even messier than that. It was just that like the cost will be me. I won't. And again, that cost goes in and out at times. I still feel that I have to like bring myself back to that, you know, like 23 year old self. That's like, if I don't bring my voice to this, if I don't challenge clients or agents as to like why my existence is so revolutionary or why this thing is happening like if I don't hold myself and others to task like I will be yeah experience a spiritual death I don't know if I have if I have the the, the space for it, the capacity for it that's okay I'm okay in, in admitting that like I don't have capacity to abandon myself the same ways that I maybe thought that I would or could or expect myself to. Um, I'm still figuring out what that looks like. But at the time, I definitely was like, I'm not going to be quiet. Like, I'm not going to sit back and just be who they think that I'm supposed to be, you know? I mean, with a certain level of humility, I had so much to learn, even being like in connection to fashion. Like I didn't see myself like that Loewe was spelled fucking Loewe. Like, <laughs> like or pronounced like, I was like, cool. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I didn't know any of that and that was okay. And like, I was okay with that being who I was. And I think it's ca- been causal for me to lead with that because that's what worked, you know? And I think whenever, I think like young models or anybody ask me how you know like advice and it's just like figure out what you like about yourself and lead with that you know I like the way my most days (laughs) I like the way that I think about things sometimes I don't like how I think about myself (laughs) but I like the way that I think I like the way that I see the world I like that curiosity I like that challenge and um just as much as I like my my nose, you know? so it's like I wanted that to be something that um, people knew and understood and found safety in. I wanted to be a source of safety for people. It takes a certain amount of bravery and courage to be that and to allow yourself to be that because it's definitely tough to be the one to say, hey, you know what, I know that you think it's this way, but actually I invite you to look at it that way or you have a blind spot here. So how do you navigate that? I try and navigate that with a sense of humility um, and objectivity, but also passion, like being rooted, but like being able to really distinguish when like maybe you know what maybe you are right but if I'm like rooted in an ultimate purpose of who I want to affect am I trying to be in protection of some corporation or am I trying to be in protection of a person who is affected by that's what keeps me grounded and what keeps me like sane or strong in it is that it's like ultimately it's not just in protection of me in that moment. It's in 
protection of a lot more people than I could imagine. And I'm also open to like a conversation around it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that I'm the smartest, most radical, most informed person in the room. I try to stay as up-to-date, as well-rounded, as well-versed, as compassionate, as open and as thoughtful so that I can advocate for people and communities in which I care about where they may not have a voice there. So if I'm rooted in that, like it does take humility. It does take like listening. It does take skill to be like, what is this the moment to challenge this? Is this the moment to, to do this? Um, do I say no to this job because of this? Or will the outcome of people seeing me do this way more than me saying no I thought about the level of like sacrifice and like mental gymnastics that comes with trying to create um change or improvement or just a sense of care in an industry that is devoid of such in a lot of ways um and a, and a world and society that is extremely individualistic and self-centered and and harmful um, not to say that I can't be those things all, all at the same time, but um, I think that in fashion specifically, it it was really interesting for me to have like these one-on-one conversations with individuals who are truly like suffering at the hands of this individualistic, materialistic, cruel industry, but didn't feel that they had the will, the space to say how much they were hurting because of their body, their race, their gender. What do you think gave you the insight to know that you could say something and that people would listen to you? As I also got older, I started connecting. I I did also feel kind of growing up, um, like my curiosity felt a little bit dogmatic I felt like I resided in this like oh I'm a realist or whatever but like now I find like such comfort in being able to engage with people in my community and friends and peers and peer groups that I've built up in and out of the industry of people relationships I've maintained you know that I can authentically talk the way and speak the way that I speak I felt like for years, I felt I really had to either like dumb myself down or water it down to somebody's better understanding or a man's better understanding. Oh my understanding. God, it's so exhausting, isn't like, it? Yeah. so, so dumb. I mean, I actually recently this like came up where somebody was just like, yeah, it's like, I wish Paloma would just like talk like person to person. You're like, like, I this am. This is how I talk. Yeah. <laughs> this, I am. Yeah. Like, this is how I talk. Yeah. yeah. And if it's like, and it's like, and it's funny is that it's always at the hands of men who don't understand it's like you like it when it's in favor of you of course you like it when it's in support of but when you it's but challenging when it challenges you. you when it's challenging you it's you're speaking in riddles like talking layman's it's like this is my layman's this is how i talk like this is who i am and so i think that there has been also this like overarching like reclamation of like women's and young women's and people's like intellectualism, like mm-hmm. let us just be smart and say that. And I feel like what's so beautiful about this like little cute community of people that I've built online who 
in their efforts or in their examples say that they listen is because they're listening and they understand. They're like, you don't have to dumb yourself down. We value your opinion on this. We value when you don't say something about this. We value when you're on vacation. We value when you're just looking hot. We value it all parts of yourself. It's like if we feel courageous enough to bring all parts of ourselves to the table, then other people, the people who can see all those parts will experience you as the multidimensional woman that you are, right? And the people that don't recognize all those parts will only see you through the lens that they choose to see you with. I also felt very privileged that I was able to be in a position where I could share information and insight and thoughts about certain subject matters um, over the years. And there are times when I just don't want to have an opinion on the thing that I always have the opinion on. And I just need to take a mental health week or whatever it is and just not be a part of public dialogue or public discourse about something that I usually would be just because I don't feel up for it right now. Inhuman. Yes. And by the way, <laughs> because you're did you see Michaela Cole's award that she got? Oh my God. I mean, it tore me high, to pieces. Right? T- tore me that to pieces. spoke to my heart in the most profound way because yeah. to be able to honor stepping away and stepping back and stepping out of being that spokesperson or that person who's always being heard or seen or whatever it is, and to be able to embrace that quiet, that is where the self-care, the the magic of experience for me all comes together Mm -hmm. and informs a new growth phase or perspective. And yet our culture is always telling us to keep, you know, keep visible, keep speaking, keep being seen, keep showing up. And it has to be okay if you don't want to be sometimes because for you for sure your career trajectory has been fast and intense and I wonder how you take care of yourself inside your life today which has really changed exponentially and is still changing yeah. I mean, you're so, you're so right. I mean, you've been doing this so much longer than I have and have been able to maintain such like a continuous arc. But it's, yeah, this sense of like responsibility, the thing that God asked in the first place, which is like the voice, the out, outspokenness and this, the, the perspective, like it's draining. And I think that the, the most profound nugget of, I don't know, of experience that I've had like in womanhood and recovery is granting myself grace in the messiness. I mean, I took off two months this summer. I took off two months. How was that? I went to, I mean, it wasn't for fun. It wasn't to have fun. It was painful. I was having a really, really, really hard time. I felt that the last six years with work and stuff, and I was always vacillating between it. My interior life being a mess and my exterior life being amazing and my interior life being amazing and my exterior life being a mess. And I was constantly okay with that because one was, and I felt whether or not it was true or not, 
like I felt that both my interior and my my interior and my exterior life were like exploding. My my constant, I was in a very long-term relationship and that had ended and I had lost friends in the process and I had lost myself. I was investigating codependency and partnership and all of this stuff. And then dealing with really new, exciting stuff, but really scary stuff like this contract with Victoria's Secret and just a new level of visibility that I wasn't quite, privy to since the since the the pandemic you know um not knowing that I have to like look okay when I go to the airport now um knowing that uh when I go out to a party I have to designate a good 30 percent of my night to like talking to people and people dumping their feelings onto me like a whole litany of stuff that I was not prepared for you hadn't caught up with with yourself I had yeah I had not caught up with myself at all. And I just broke. I was really scared and felt really unsafe in my body. Um, I will say that I feel so lucky that in my better, stronger times throughout my career, I've been able to cultivate. And that was really shown very clearly in the time that I took off. That like my manager, Mina, just was like, Pawn was taking some time off. She's having a hard time. I didn't lose money. I wasn't punished. Everyone was like, whenever she's ready. You know, and, and I feel really lucky. Even one day at Victoria's Secret, I had a really, was really, having a really hard time. And like Raul, who I love to the end of time, was like, just plan on to being a friend. She can leave in the middle of the day. Like, whatever she needs to feel good. Because this is not an easy job. This is not an easy personhood to exist in. You know, Felicity and the, ma- the amazing casting director at VS, I called her. I was just like, I'm overwhelmed. Like I cried to you, like I was just like, I'm overwhelmed, like with what's going on in my life inside and outside. And I need a break because there's a certain level of like performance and like dissociation you have to have to feel the way that we have to feel and then show up for work and be the the beacon of strength and hope and womanhood and confidence yeah. and like all these things at once when you just don't fucking feel like uh, it's yeah, sometimes. Like, I, you know, and it's hard to be that spokesperson, especially when it's the reason that you're there to begin with. I'm very excited to see what you, what parts of you, you rediscover in this process. And yeah. I'm really excited to see those parts of you come to life. And I think that you're right. It is what's needed. Yeah, it comes in really uncomfortable packages. Oh, I know. I know. Um, Okay, so I'm trying to think of what else we should talk about here. Okay, I guess. Okay, so here's something that we can talk about, which we haven't really talked about, which is um, I remember the day that I was in New York City with my kids, with Ella and Sylvan, and we were in a cab. And Sylvan said, looked out the window and saw a giant, giant billboard of you nude in a Glossier ad. And he was like, mom, is that Paloma? And I looked and I was like, oh, my God, it is. (laughs) And he's like, she doesn't have any clothes on. I was like, I know. And I said, amazing that she had the courage to do that. You know, that's a beautiful photograph. Mm. And then we got on in this discussion about how important it is to value your body. And it opened a whole discussion up. But yep. my first thought was, wow, how did that feel to you? 
to be naked and be vulnerable and allow yourself to be photographed for the world to see in an intimate image of you naked? Yeah, I think doing that campaign was the touchstone for trusting my intuition. I knew in the back of my head that it needed to be done because there's nothing to hide about my body and like what this will do, what kind of messaging, like I've never seen, like the thing is that we've seen tons of images naked of Giselle Bunch and even a Got Milk ad, you know what I mean? Like seeing the archetypal valued body, we've seen nude in all different forms of media. What would it mean for my body to be seen that way? What would it mean for someone else to witness it? What would that mean for me? And so despite my fears, I knew that the ultimate goal was to not even cause controversy, but force people to think about how we see bodies in media and in beauty and what is rendered beautiful and what isn't. Because at the end of the day, it was a beautiful picture, whether or not many people think that my body wasn't beautiful. You know, so I think that I... It, sh- it gave me the example and like the kind of tenacity to like be like, you can fa- be afraid of something, you can be vulnerable, you can be scared of what the outcome is, but know in your heart that it's the right thing to do, you know? And it's shown me, it's guided me in a lot of experiences. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm special in the fact that I don't like to do things generally that I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah, no one likes <laughs> I don't to think do I'm that. Good at. Yeah. No one likes that. So. But so there's so in especially because it's like not like I've done a lot wanted to be a model my whole life and there isn't that many examples there's not that many um there aren't that many references of seeing bodies like mine in high fashion or beauty or media um, actually there there, just, there really wasn't any before wasn't. before yeah, you did that really, that's yeah. the truth yeah I mean it was it was it was it's big you know I still think of like it allows me like oh when I'm scared to do a runway like I may walk funny I may fall I may look different than anybody but the ultimate goal the ultimate product is that I did it and that that reference exists that so even though I'm afraid even though this is that whatever whatever the end product is what my intuition feels and knows the power of that. And it's a greater purpose. It's for a greater purpose because girls growing up or anybody growing up can now point to you as a reference and say, oh, this is possible. I don't need to exist in a very narrow paradigm for me to be considered. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and, And not just, and not even so literally, I think that when I'm in conversation with people, Actually, the most impactful conversations that I have with, you know, women and femmes or GMC people or however they identify with like the power of my work isn't informed so literally how they model. It's like, oh, it helped me feel more, you know, empowered. Like this one girl wrote me this beautiful Instagram message. She was like, I was so scared for my for my master's dissertation and I was so afraid and I thought about how how afraid you must have been to shoot naked and think about you know and that you just did it it also I will say background to that shoot it was like working with women or female-led companies where there's just like you know 
the essence of empathy and care. If you've noticed, I've done a lot of nude shoots, but if you've noticed the nude shoots that I do are specifically with women or people at which I feel that I have autonomy over my body and how it is portrayed in the world. Which is which and is crucial. And that's, you know, crucial. fundamentally like it's seeing your body yeah. also through a female gaze as opposed to a male gaze. But also beyond that, there has to be a level of collaboration and care. You know, I, I, I'm okay with being the subject as long as I am also my own muse. I am also my own subject. And I am a part of what that process looks like. And to be able to creatively merge with someone else's brilliance, you know, that yeah. that is so rare where you get to work with people that yeah. you're like, oh, my God, your ideas are just so powerful. If I can bring something additive to this, we could make something magical. And that's yeah. the creative dream, isn't it? Yeah, which is ultimately why the nudes that more recently exist in my like collaboration with Morphe Zoe Gertner feel really, really powerful. And she really showed me the example of like what true collaboration means and true respect that now I get to carry with me in my work relationships. And um, what a gift. Even like, it's such a gift. It's such a gift. Like the conversation that we get to have about, you know, about my body when we first did it, you know, just it was and, and how I want to feel and how it needs to feel and what the ultimate conversation is and the editing and the, the invitation to, to thoughts and how it made her feel like it was, it's really powerful, you know, what a cathartic which then informs process. Yeah, which is so rare. Oh my God, to have those conversations at work. At work. Beautiful. At work. Creating a new paradigm. Yes, exactly. I mean, we we shot a Chloe campaign. I saw it. no hair and makeup. Gorgeous. No hair and makeup. Us in Hawaii. Us just pulling off to the road and me being like, oh, I'll climb in the river here. Camilla's on one side. Zoe's in front of me. And it's like, oh, like, I feel warm here mm. and I think that that is really powerful when you lead with intention and care and that that sensitivity that for so long we felt like afraid of you know like I've watched Zoe be in spaces at work where it's just like let's cut down the crew because how does she feel safe how does she cultivate psychological safety on set how do how do I reflect that as the subject how do I bring that into my onto my team how do I do that in my daily life and my daily work I think as much as fashion has like you know it's a hard industry I have met some of the most incredible people and experienced some of the most profound life lessons chiefly that like I am in command of my body period you know like I am in command of my body <laughs> and um, I am grateful that I also started a bit later because I think that that helps me help better inform. I feel very confident to say that I'm on that journey, not all the time, but at 29, I don't know how, if I could feel that way at 21, I don't know, but it also puts me in a position of protection with other girls in my industry and other people who just ask how to like survive but I'm just figuring it out to be honest with you <laughs> like I just 
Well, you're doing a beautiful job and you're doing it with grace and dignity and authenticity. And it's been such uh, an honor and a privilege to witness your journey and to know you. And I love you dearly. I love you so much. So crazy. I'm 30. I cannot believe it. No, I cannot believe it. I cannot. It's so wild. It's so wild. That's so, I mean, still trying to figure it out, but. So am I. We all are. And you're worse to worse. We all are. And that's the, there is no destination, right? We, 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 we do a bunch Mm -hmm. of work and growth and we're, we live in that space for a while. And, and, you know, as, as you said, it's like, whatever the time frame is every five, 10 years, whatever it is, it's like we hit another growth. opportunity for it to deepen our understanding of who we are and who we are in relation to the world and the life we created. And does that still reflect who I am? And if not, we got to make some painful changes. And, you know, that's the path. That's the path. But I will be with you on on this path for hopefully another 30 years. Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. So much time. But until then, we just stay grounded, try and do the work that we can. and Keep sharing our stories. Yeah, keep sharing our stories is right. I've always been so inspired by your ability to just crack open to people and provided such a blueprint in how to make other people feel safe. So I just want to say thank you for that. You're welcome. Really thank you. taught me a lot. Thank you. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. This is VS Voices, a brand new original podcast series by Victoria's Secret. Listen here or wherever you get your podcasts.